Welcome to the Explain podcast, a podcast where next generation sequencing techniques are explained to me by Daniel. That's me, because I'm a bioinformatician and Julia is a physicist who joined us recently at the sequencing facility. We are two colleagues from the Next Generation Sequencing Competence Network and we work at the West German Genome Center in Düsseldorf. Hello, everyone. Today we would like to talk about applications, right, Daniel? An application for which techniques? Every technique that we so far talked about. That means, yeah, Sanger, pyrosequencing, semiconductor sequencing, which is iron torrent. Yes. And solid sequencing, yes. which is sequencing by oligonucleotide ligation and detection. Mm-hmm. Right. So first things first. We are now on Instagram. Yes, we are. We are. The thing is that we are putting now there all our sketches so that you could take a look, magnify and do whatever. Yeah, we got a feedback that on Spotify, apparently you cannot magnify the sketches that we did and you cannot see a thing. And we decided to change it. <laughs> Since those sketches are made so beautifully by Julia with so much time, we thought about giving those sketches another platform and now you can follow us on Instagram. How are we called on Instagram? I don't use this. Yeah, word. it's explain.pod as podcast. Explain.pod. Okay. You could see there our logo, so it's pretty easy to find. Cool. Awesome. Next point. Julia mentioned already we got your feedback and thanks for the feedback that we got so far. You can, however, still send us new feedback if you always, want. Always, always. You know, this is our driving force in a way. <laughs> How can people send podcast feedback, Julia? It can be email. Now when we have Instagram, also feel free to send a message there. Then we could streamline it in a very easy way. You always can use LinkedIn accounts also of mine or Daniel, if you're able to find him there. <laughs> He's hiding. Yeah, and GSCN, the whole network within our central coordination unit, I mean, we are able to receive feedback literally everywhere. And of course, we have our own email explain podcast.explain at gmail.com exactly this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we are putting it in the show notes again so feel free really talk to us tell us what you like what you don't maybe you like some improvements or some new topics of course we have already a timeline but we are always open for special episodes as you saw with kitchen genomics We got your feedback and that is why we are now trying something different today. So I'm spoiling you of the names of the topics that we are talking about. As no surprise, we will quickly recap the technologies and what was the key technology or how the sequencing under the hood works a little bit, how the sequencing technology works in either of those cases. And then we will go into platform specific applications. Uh, we will talk about cats. We will talk about Julia's skin. We will talk Thank about, <laughs> she doesn't know yet what that means. No. <laughs> we will talk about CATs. We will talk about planes and then we will talk about volcanoes. Mm -hmm. That is the topic list for today. That sounds really exciting. And I mean, of course, we will be talking about applications of the sequencing techniques that we talked before. Daniel, do I understand correct that now after this special episode, we will start talking about kind of modern technologies already? Yes. Yes. So the next episode will be about a technology that I actually worked with today, of which we have actually several machines in our lab and all of them are currently sequencing. So next episode will be about up-to-date technologies and we finally arrived in this decade here. And there are 
so many technologies currently active and used that we hope to be finished this year with technologies that are in our lab alone. Inspire us and then maybe we will be faster. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, but in between we will also have one or two special applications again. Um, the next special episode, however, will be about a virus. About immunology, no. right? No, about virus. Nothing about immunology. It's a very technical topic and it's oh, going wow. to be about one specific, very specific virus that uh, is in every sequencing run. Oh, oh in know. every sequencing run. Okay, yes. exciting. Yeah, very nice. But why don't we start rolling with your cats and my skin and what's going on? So first, a little story to warm you up. Have you ever seen a cat with stripes? Definitely. Okay. And most of those cats with stripes and not one single solid color, being it black, white, brown, whatever, do you know what sex they have? These are females. I, I don't remember. Correct. I have no idea why. And before you say a word, I also say that three colors cats are also <laughs> known to be female. <laughs> female. Yes. That is exactly what we are talking about why? today. And <laughs> exactly that. So um, you, as a surprise, your skin also looks like a female cat. We don't see that because we don't have the sensors for it, That's but we weird. can make it visible. Do you remember roughly how the sex is determined in humans? By Y or by X, you mean? Yes. So typically you have one set of chromosomes from, from your father, one from your mother, right? So you have every chromosome two times in each somatic cell, typically, if it's not cancer. We will talk about that at another point. But the point here is that for the sex determination, we have either the X from your mother mm -hmm. and the X from your father mm -hmm. or the X from your mother and the Y chromosome from your father. Okay. If you have X and X, you become female. Mm -hmm. And if you have X and Y, you become male. That's how typically it goes. There mm -hmm. are some diseases where you get actually more than this or even less, but we will talk about the usual cases okay. today. But actually it's a random process, isn't it? It's kind of random, but we will not talk about the mechanics behind that. The point here is that You can only get the Y chromosome from your father. Yeah. And when you are a one-celled organism, you have, if you are female, you have two X chromosomes, mm -hmm. if everything goes according to plan. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And here comes the point. You develop and your cells divide and divide. And at some point, you are at a one, roughly 100-cell stadium. So mm -hmm. your whole organism is roughly at 100 cells. And at that exact time point, something happens. A fight breaks out. A fight that is actually body-wide, that occurs only in females and not in males. Mm -hmm. And that totally depends on the X chromosomes. That's why we are prone to conflicts much more than men. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No, 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 no. Every human only needs one active X chromosome. Okay. But females have two. But females have two. So how do you solve that? You fight. You fight. Exactly. For your life. The With yourself. That is cruel. That is cruel. However... So one X chromosome survives and the other doesn't get destroyed. It just gets deactivated. Go on. <laughs> I was talking about X chromosomes. So at roughly the 100 cell stadium, yes. very early in human development, in each of those 100 cells, a fight breaks out between the X chromosome from your father and the X chromosome from your mother. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's not the same result in every cell. Mm -hmm. yeah, so you can have that in roughly 50% of the cells, your mother's X wins. And in the other 50%, your father's X chromosome wins this fight. Mm -hmm. And the other then gets deactivated. Yeah. 
all right? And then, of course, you go on into development, become a full human, and these cells, these 100 cells are stem cells. So mm -hmm. these become bones, muscle, tissue, yep. eyes, lip, whatever. Mm -hmm. And at a later stage, you can actually see in which cells one X chromosome wins and in which cells the other X chromosome wins because there are certain diseases or phenotypes that are... Inherited from mother or from father. That are X chromosome dependent, right? Oh, wow. So in females, you can actually have a certain set of cells being prone to a disease and the other set of cells not. And you can backtrack yeah. that to which chromosome won the fight. Okay. And there are... I can show you pictures now. That's hard to... While you're looking at for pictures, that also means that, for example, if my mother was prone to... <laughs> okay, that was my reaction on the photos, and I don't know if we are allowed to put it on the episode somewhere, but let's see. I mean, Daniel will explain. So what I'm talking about currently is called Blaschko lines, and you can see them in females. And can you describe roughly what you see here? You know, we could put the direct analogy to vitiligo, but vitiligo, there is like no pigmentation. And there is, and there are no it's not patterns. A, there, exactly, there is a pattern exactly. Going. It doesn't really look like a pattern, but it looks like a super, super scattered intermix. It's like when you're putting two different colors and then you try to mix them. And then like they are going into all these tiny swirls. But you didn't mix them perfectly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely see separations. You see somewhere the higher density, somewhere the lesser density, somewhere even patches of clear skin of one or another color. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Basically, every human female has it to a certain degree, but on some people you can see it and then on some not. But however, you have this as well. <laughs> you see now the connection to the female cats? A bit. Okay. But Because what about three colored? <laughs> then one of those two X chromosomes had the information of two colors. Wow, this is interesting. But look, would it be correct to assume that, let's say, mother had a cancer of a certain type of cells? Mm -hmm. I don't know, liver. Mm -hmm. Can we find or predict that the liver of a kid, if it was developed from the stem cells of a mother, also has much higher chance to develop cancer rather than liver developed from the stem cells from father? Like if you would have son and a daughter, let's say, and daughter happened to have mother's stem cells to create the liver and for for the son, it would be a father's cells. So that's not so easy because for some diseases, if your chromosome 14 from your mother doesn't work, one or two specific genes, then it can be that the other chromosome takes over because they are the gene still works. Mm -hmm. However, there are diseases where you can see exactly which cells are affected and you can see those Lines. Wow. So there are diseases which are basically dependent on the cell type, right? Either the mm -hmm. X chromosome from your mother or from your father. You could meet such skin type patterns because only in female. Because in males, you only have one X chromosome, so there is no fight. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with vitiligo, right? That's completely different. Yeah, yeah. That's a completely different story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with this episode. <laughs> Thank you. That was just a quick uh, pre-warmer for you today. <laughs> He really warmed me up nicely. Like, <laughs> Have you known that your skin is not your skin? <laughs> you just can't see it? Basically, yes. Stray cat you are. <laughs> <Sh> <laughs> Julia cat.
Let's start with Sanger sequencing. Julia, can you quickly recap how Sanger sequencing worked? Just two, three sentences, maybe? Oh God, two, three sentences. Mm -hmm. I remember there was some gel loading mm -hmm. sequence and then we had, PCR. what did we had exactly? The polymerase chain reaction worked there. And what I remember that we were putting all possible nucleotides on the gel and then they were kind of distributed there in a way. So you did a PCR with four buckets, TCAG. Yeah. And uh, in each of those four buckets, you have all the nucleotides, but in the T bucket, there is a T nucleotide. Yeah, there was 1%, one, 1% exactly. There was 1% of certain endings. Were it endings or? We can call them terminating ends. Exactly, yeah, yeah for each nucleotide. Yeah. So if those one percentages of T nucleotides in the T bucket were incorporated into the DNA, then the polymerase did incorporate this T. However, it was not possible to elongate the DNA after this. So that yeah. was the end then of the reaction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The fragment thus was shorter than the complete fragment. This we see on the gel as longer or shorter pieces. So mm -hmm. we see them as a stripes. And of course, we know the letter, we know the length, and thus we can yeah, identify was it T, G, C, or A. Exactly. So you have those four buckets with the terminating dyes in there, and then you run a gel electrophoresis, and then you can basically see the bands right next to each other in the C, T, A, and G band, and mm -hmm. thus you can basically backtrack the original sequence. Yeah. Okay, good. This technology is the oldest technology that we talked about in this podcast so right. far and since then actually decades have been passed <laughs> decades yes, yes this is decades ago absolutely and amazingly it's still used and amazingly it's still used and we are now talking about one of the major applications of this technology but first we need to imagine what two or three years of technical innovations do to such a simple technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's simple, it's it's not really simple, mm -hmm. but comparatively it is. And it's also low throughput. And that was one of the key cornerstones why people went to other technologies. Right. Because you could not only sequence one piece of DNA, but several with basically all other mm. today relevant uh, sequencing technologies. Yeah. However, also with, with the same efforts for sample preparations and so on, right? Roughly, roughly, yes. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so Julia, your task now is imagine how would you try to increase the throughput with the Sanger sequencing machine? Let's let's imagine that all this pipetting, all this running the gel is made by a machine Yeah, that's automated for decades now. Mm -hmm. But still, we want to have more information than one read of DNA. What What do you think? How can we do this? <laughs> Make the gel longer so that you could get the longer sequence. Has been tried. We are at the limit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Julia, typically at this situation comes with, you've got to work with intensity. But no, we are not working today with intensity. Okay. Now, for most sequencing technologies, intensity, working with intensity becomes a problem because of quenching. Mm -hmm. If you are interested in that, we can talk about yeah, quenching. Yeah, the signal gets nonlinear at some point, right? Yes, and also scarring of DNA. We can we can mm -hmm. talk about those later, but we are now at Zanger. Mm -hmm. So. Okay, if it's not gel elongation, then it could be maybe metrics of gel so that you could sequence many gels at once instead of kind of only one. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea, but no. Shall we write to Sanger? <laughs> 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 We've got an idea. <laughs> 
I give you a hint. Yeah, that's right. It has something to do with colors. You want to color code or to put some fluorescent yes. markers, but how yes. how the hell would you increase the throughput? <laughs> Here's the point. We have the T bucket, we have the C bucket, we have the G bucket, and we have the A bucket, right? And for now, we only made pictures of the bands afterwards, mm -hmm. and we did basically only black and white pictures. Yeah. So you have stripes here at certain positions. Exactly. Yeah. And we didn't at all care about the color, right? It was just whether there was a signal or not. Not yeah, black and white. Yeah, you don't need the color for this situation. But what if we could add color? Yeah, but for which reason? To put some homopolymers and mark them colored? No, nothing about homopolymers. Or combinations of TC or s stuff, but in Sanger it doesn't work. It's like only one nucleotide after another. One nucleotide at a time. Yes, that's completely correct. To spoil you, all the Sanger sequencing machines that we have in the lab today can see four to six colors. So we are constantly doing Sanger sequencing with color. Mm-hmm. And also a small spoiler, we are working with flow force again. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> first some first a biological background and why you would need this, okay? Mm -hmm. What do you think is a short tandem repeat? Short STR. Short tandem repeat. Come on, just try. Is it this combination it's not like homopolymers, but it's the repeated pieces of sequence non coding yes. or something like that? Yes. Which are in yeah, in, in your DNA sequence. And then they can be short, they can be long, and they, yeah, there can be as many repeats as possible actually within this non-coding region. Roughly, I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the concentration of these repeats could also point out on some neurological problems, right? That's a whole different story. <laughs> we will start simply, but yes. Okay, so the human genome is full of genes that code for proteins that make your body work in the end, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not all the information that is there. In fact, only roughly three to, um, depends how you see it, but people constantly say it's only 3% of your whole genome is actually code that gets made into proteins at some point. Yeah, and the rest is like non-coding fillers. The rest is mostly non-coding, but it's not fillers. There is a huge part of regulatory elements Mm. There is a whole part of RNAs that will get made, mm -hmm. but never reach the protein phase. They Aha, do okay. something different okay. mm -hmm. while still being an RNA. But why are they called non-coding? Then, then I don't because understand. Because non-coding refers here to as non-protein coding. Okay, only regarding proteins. Yes. Then, then I would understand this definition because that always cramped my mind in a way <laughs> when when people say non-coding and you like come on it's not just an empty piece of yeah of information of whatever nucleotide sequence there it's there for some reasons right and yes. calling them non-coding it doesn't mean that they are not doing anything so for big parts of the genome we still don't know what it does but we are trying to understand here and the amount of DNA that we understand in the human genome increases steadily. What I wanted to tell you, there is also a short, or there are several small parts of your and my genome that are STRs, called short tandem repeats, or also microsatellites. We will talk about those later, but... Yes, please. There <laughs> are regions in your genome where you have, let's say, C-A-T, 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 C-A-T. A part of your genome somewhere. Yeah, and these are these short tandem repeats. Short tandem because it's a short tandem, right? <laughs> it's not like your bike with exactly two seats, but it has mostly three to five nucleotides. Mm -hmm. And those are repeating here, yeah? CIT, ah, CIT, And you have them here in my example, there are four times mm -hmm. CITs. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are regions in the human genome where you have tandem repeats, short tandem repeats in a specific number. Yeah. So you have two chromosome tens, one from your father, one from your mother. And on the same position you have from your mother, you have eight times CAT, CAT, CAT. Mm -hmm. And from, from your father, let's say 10 times. Mm -hmm. Do you end up with 18? No, no. They stay on the chromosome that they come from, mm -hmm. basically. However, that means you are heterozygous. Heterozygous means mm -hmm. that the information on, uh, on the chromosome from your father differs from that of your mother, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Also, most of those STR regions are pretty diverse throughout humans. Yeah? So the chance that for each STR region we share the same amount of repeats mm -hmm. is lower than 20%. Okay. Also, there are hundreds or even thousands of STR regions in your genome, in my genome. They are the same. They are next to the same genes or in, in the same region. So okay. you can find them easily. Mm -hmm. And there are several standards, but we will now talk about old one, which is still applied today which roughly is 13 regions. So there are 13 regions in your yeah. genome, which people use, that in the human population have defined tandem, so C-A-T or G-A-A-T mm -hmm. or something, right? And then we know that in humans, this satellite or this tandem is repeated five to 17 times. Yeah? That's the span here. But it's not kind of in every human, it's the it same. Is. Is no, the no, same? It, no, it's not the same. And that is the whole point of the system here. Or is the same region where it's, it's found? It's the same region, uh -huh. but I have eight repetitions and you have 10. Okay. I have on X chromosome from my mother eight and from my father three. Okay. And you have from your mother 19 and from your mother one. Okay. I have another Something stupid like question. Go. Is your genome as long as mine? Yes, roughly. Mine is a little shorter because the X chromosome has more information than the Y. Does the genome of every man of the planet has the same length and no. of a woman the same length? No. But roughly the same? Roughly. What is rough? How rough it is? Three point something gigabases. Three gigabases. Mm -hmm. Well, that that is a lot. You call it short. This is like rough for you, like three gigabases. Mm -hmm. It's short. For me, it's like super long. <laughs> Okay, so the thing here is that we humans have one set of chromosomes from mother, yeah. one from father. Mm -hmm. There are plants, however, who have eight from mother, eight from father. Okay. And that increases your genome size, your total genome size, right? We are diploid, which means we have always one from mother, one from father. Yes. If nothing goes wrong, there are plants which we breed it or cultivars that have three from mother, eight from father or something. Well, okay. Much bigger genomes in total mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you want to try to face them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we have 13 regions where we have those tandem repeats and they are very human specific. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So in each of those 13 STR loci, that's just the region where you can find those repeats. What's the meaning of loci? Locus. It's basically the genomic coordinate of whatever you're looking for. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that make sense? Good. Yes. Okay. So those STR loci are spread throughout your genome. They're on chromosome 1, 2, 10, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And we know them for quite some time because they are handy. And they're handy because you are most likely heterozygous mm -hmm. for many of them. So you have one set of information from your mother, one from your father. Yeah. And I have two. But they are with a very high chance they are different. Yeah? So just based on this one sequence, we can say, is it from Julia or from Daniel? We assume that it's 20% for each of those, right? Okay. So, and we say 13 we say we, we use 13 regions, mm -hmm. we use 13 STI, STR loci, and it's 20% each. Mm -hmm. So the 
result of chances of us having the exact same str information here is 0 0.2 times 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 0 0.2 well, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the point here is right that the chances for each str loci get lower and lower for each one right okay. mm -hmm. and with 13 re str loci you end up with a probability at some point with one in 35 million it's a very low chance but also those are very small nuggets of information that you only need mm -hmm. right because we know the regions here where you can find those tandem repeats and we can design primers for those exact same 13 str loci and then you're marking them fluorescently to yes. to find them Yes. Without really looking into the results. We don't need to sequence the whole genome because we have the primers that will make the polymerase synthesize and the STR loci that comes. The length of the fragment is defined by the amount of repeats here. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So if we have a tandem of three nucleotides, we can have integers of three mm -hmm. elongated, right? So we have 13 loci. We have 20% chance of you and us sharing one specific loci information, three repeats for mm -hmm. me, three okay. repeats for you. Mm -hmm. And we add those up for each loci. We use 13 standard. That's one standard. We will today talk about this standard here. And now, how do you think? Do we put those 13 loci on only four buckets that we have on the T, the C, the G, and the A. I would put another bucket with exactly this sequence of the tandem and then would target that if it's possible. <laughs> A tandem is also informative because each of those tandem ends with the same nucleotide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see a connection here? Partial, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we won't end at one nucleotide more, but we will only end at three nucleotides more or less for each repeat that yeah. we have, mm -hmm. right? And if the tandem here ends with a T, that will somehow make a point here in the T bucket somewhere that we run on the gel then later and mm -hmm. not in the C, the G or the A. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, still. So we have four buckets, T, C, A, G, mm -hmm. and we have, let's say we have five colors. Yeah, and now you're asking what is the fifth color for? No, no, no. So the thing here is we design primers yeah. that are STR specific. Mm -hmm. We add the fluorophore to the primer itself and the primer will remain as the part of the polymerase mm -hmm. product. And the color that we add can have one of five different colors. Okay, so we have five colors times four nucleotides. You see where I'm going? The bandwidth here is actually fine because we have... Actually, I said in the Sanger episode that we can sequence roughly 1,000 base pairs with yes. the Sanger sequencing. For this sequencing here, we only need 600. And mm -hmm. we actually only start at 100 to make sure that we don't sequence primers only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we actually need only half of the capacity that Sanger sequencing gives us with this approach. Because we have primers with a color, we have short tandem repeats that always end with one nucleotide and then increase by the same length for each repeat. Mm -hmm. And we have only 13 of those. Mm -hmm. So we multiplex basically with color. We have four different probes for STR that ends with a T. And each of those has a specific different length. Mm -hmm. yeah, let's say one is 150 to 180. Mm -hmm. The other is 180 to 220 and so on. Mm -hmm. And each of those we can additionally code with the color that we attach to the primer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the cool thing is here, again, we need just a small amount 
of information we need basically for each of those loci, we need the amount of repeats and whether you are heterozygous or homozygous, whether you have one peak or two, okay. both can be the case mm -hmm. and we can detect this mm -hmm. here. And then we have in the end a very, very low chance of two random people having the same STR loci on every of those 13 loci. So what can we do with this information? Well, we can, for example, we can say Julia killed the cat. Yeah? We can say Daniel is the father of the child. Mm-hmm because the chance of those STR regions being the same mm -hmm. between suspect one, two, three in a criminal case is just so low that you can basically say, okay, if we find in the blood that we found in the room or something, yeah, we find those STR loci and those are the exact same as the suspect number five, then we can make with a very high chance, make sure that those are the same people. So that's where Sanger technology is used now? Yes. So are we sequencing the same cases in our laboratory? <laughs> So for who uh, killed the cat? <laughs> that was just an example, but companies do it for fatherhood tests. That's one cheap thing because again, you need only one Sanger sequencing. Yeah, that's ten bucks mm -hmm. roughly. Yeah, Let, let's say a little bit more, but don't tell it. Companies <laughs> charge was probably three hundred. Ten, ten bucks, and you can say A is the father of B, or he's not the father of B. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then for each suspect, you would need to sequence again. Mm. So you can find out whether you father or mother. I mean, for mother, it's pretty easy to find that out, right? But uh, you could do that for mother as well. You could also find out who of the suspect actually did lose some genetic material in mm -hmm. the room where the person was killed. Amazing. You need the thing here for this SCR profiling, you need 10 nanograms of DNA. Mm -hmm. There are even protocols to use less than that. It's like nothing that's super easy to collect. This is a very low. Let's say a few hairs and you will be able to extract enough DNA. Yeah. Or if not, then you do you just do a PCR, right? Mm -hmm. With random hexamers. Yeah. And then you do the Sanger sequencing with the then you could yeah, you could yeah. go on. Exactly. You also do it sometimes with uh, dogs or plants actually to find out which cultivar is related to what cultivar for mice, for corn or whatever. What is cultivar once more? Cultivar is basically not a race, but it's still inside the species. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's very important for what flower you plant on your field the okay. next year, mm -hmm. basically. You okay. want to you wanna validate that the cultivar you bought is actually the one you ordered. And for that, you can do a cheap sanger sequence. Mm -hmm. If you know the loci, which plants also have and animals also have, you can also check out dog breeding or horse breeding. There is a lot of money, right? And you can check the relatedness between two mm -hmm. individuals by this, because not only for humans, but we know those STR regions for horses, dogs, mm -hmm. corn, yeah, everything. So it's very important for agriculture. Sure, to validate. Mm -hmm. Also, what actually was your idea in the beginning, we use it to sequence vectors. Not the thing here with colors, but in mm -hmm. general, Sanger sequencing, we sequence vectors. What what are vectors? Vectors are basically how do you, a way of transporting genetic material. Does that make sense? You have a specific protein or a specific property that you want to transfer from bacteria A to bacteria C, mm -hmm. or you want to actually introduce a new ability mm -hmm. or a new trait to a bacteria, and thus you create a vector. A vector is basically a ring of DNA, mm -hmm. sometimes not bigger than 1,000 nucleotides, which you can sequence on Sanger machines. Mm -hmm. And there you can check that actually the vector that you cloned inside this bacteria is the same that you put into the bacteria and that nothing to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The, f the, f the first was much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Forensic science. Yeah, good. I think that's it for Sanger sequencing. Okay, we so... Ca we can also... You can go really off the rails with targeted primers. 
Right? Mm -hmm. Because if you are interested in one specific gene, one specific region, then you can, of course, design primers that will only bind to genetic mm -hmm. places nearby this gene and then sequence only this. That you can do with, every again, mm -hmm. all organisms. And any more or less big laboratory that provides such services would do that with Sanger, most probably, yeah, because it's kind of fast and cheap yeah. and doesn't give a lot of efforts on the lab for one sample. Yeah. And you don't need to wait for other samples to fill it up and to make the sequencing. Exactly. You can, you can directly go, go with one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have here, we can test this, but I have here an example STR profile. Mm -hmm. Can you describe that? How, how does it look? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a graph with a lot of peaks that are pretty random, and I'm gonna try to magnify it to see what's written in there, and I can't. The picture is very pixelated. Oops, quickly increase the zoom here. But the point is that you have those lanes, yeah? TCIG, and you have those colors. And you can see actually there are letters, there are peaks, which show every little possible STR profile. Yeah? And then you have the actual patient or the genetic material that you did. You have ah, different colors. Okay, okay. So then it's kind of comparative study. You've got one sequence of your real sample and then you have your suspects or whatever. For example, yeah. Let's say three or five. And then you start to compare your real sample and see how many peaks were found there. And yeah, you are checking if there is any other alternative profile that fits the reality. Yeah. So this all concludes in one notion that I wanted to introduce here. The sequencing technologies that we are talking about are much more like planes. Okay, so the analogy here is maybe a little bit bad, but stay with He makes with fun of me today. No. Cats. S stay with planes. me. I stay with you. Okay, go on. <laughs> so when you buy a plane, yeah. the person who sells you the plane doesn't really care what you do with the plane. He just cares that you give him the money. Mm -hmm. And with planes, you can actually do a lot of things. You can put seats in there and fly from A to B and take money for tickets. And then you can fly people from A to B with mm -hmm. those planes, right? I mean, you need fuel, but mm -hmm. in theory, you can do that. Mm -hmm. There are many companies to flying people from A to B, okay? But you could also not put seats into that plane and just put cargo there. Mm -hmm. you know? For example, horses or whatever yeah, you yeah, want to transport. Whatever right? goods. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can also attach weapons to that plane. Mm -hmm. Make it a war plane or something. Mm -hmm. Good the idea. <laughs> you could also attach some antennas to it and make it forecast the weather a little bit better. Okay. Yeah, you Go can to the point. <laughs> My point here is that the plane is just a platform. Yeah? Yeah. It's just a thing that you buy that you can modify yeah. and then use however you would like. Yeah, yeah. So that it fits your needs. Exactly. And in Sanger, what you want to say is the same. Not only Sanger, yeah, but all the sequencing technologies mm. that mm -hmm. we will talk about. Mm -hmm. And we will come to several applications later. But the point here is that especially in the high throughput sequencing that we will come to next, you can think of the sequencing technology much mm -hmm. more like a platform. Yeah, because yep. in mm -hmm. the end, you will always sequence DNA. But what you did before and how you came to this DNA is entirely up to you. There is actually, I think, Illumina, some sequencing company, did a poster with all the arts of sequencing that you can do. Okay. You can treat the DNA in special ways. You can convert RNA to DNA and back again and forward again. And you can actually sequence only specific RNA-DNA interactions. You can do lots of things. Yeah. And the point here is that there are now three digits worth of ways to do sequencing. Mm -hmm. 
in the end, you, yes, you always de sequence DNA, one nucleotide after the other in solid, roughly, but you get the point. The, the real key here is to what you want to achieve and the answer you, the question you can answer is the treatment before, mm -hmm. how you get the sample, what the sample is, what enzymes you put on top, you know, how you treated it. There is enzymes that link DNA that is close together in the genome. We Thousands call Thousands of tiny details. There are hundreds of ways mm -hmm. you can do something that you later then can sequence, which you can answer your question. Mm -hmm. And all the sequencing technologies that we will talk about today are also platforms. You, know? you can, in the end, sequence DNA. <laughs> the question you are answering... <laughs> <laughs> you have hundreds of different kits to do. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Kits is basically a recipe, including the ingredients. Mm -hmm. Kits is not the kids like children. No, no, it's <laughs> it's like, a, can you describe how kits get delivered? Yeah, packages. Tiny cardboard boxes with... It's a package with reagents and everything, whatever is needed for one run. So really small tubes, typically, they are labeled in colors or names. And mm -hmm. inside that package, sometimes or via mail or, or something, you get instructions. Yeah, Point to pipette A to B and wait five seconds. Shake everything for 30 seconds. Yeah. Heat up 250 degrees. Yeah? And those are basically cooking recipes. Yes. <laughs> Just in a molecular way. And yep. my point here is that there are hundreds of different of kits from several companies that you can buy everywhere. Mm. Yeah? And we should much more think of the sequencing platform that we have. Mm -hmm. So all the applications that we will talk about now, not Zanger because Zanger is quite different because mm -hmm. you have this low, low throughput, but solid pyrosequencing and ion torrent sequencing, mm -hmm. or semiconductor sequencing, are all those platforms where you could apply your kits however you want. They don't care, right? They buy, you, they sell you the chemicals mm -hmm. and the machines and the instructions how to use that machine. How to use it in a standard way, so to say, and then exactly. you are able to modify it in the way you want to reach your result. There are very specific and long protocols to do to answer very exotic questions. And I will now talk about two applications that we still do this day mm -hmm. that were already made and used on all of those platforms. Yeah, because... Ah, okay, for pyro, solid and semiconductor. Yes. Okay. Good. Not mm -hmm. Zanger, not Zanger because yeah, yeah. it was low throughput, but mm -hmm. for all of those three platforms, there are essays which you do mm -hmm. that we still do in the lab today, just on other machines. And the major deciding factor was price per gigabase, because that is what each of those essays comes down to, mm -hmm. uh, sequencing DNA and the cheaper, the better, basically. Right. Okay. So let's start with the first application. We already kind of started it, but the first application is genome sequencing. Uh, so you sometimes, you and me, we differ in roughly 3 million single nucleotides from each other. And that defines a whole lot of properties. Mm -hmm. And people are interested in sequencing genomes to find out the linkage between genome and phenotype and disease. Mm -hmm. The whole genome we're talking about. For example, yeah, mm -hmm. we, we can al already also talk about targeted sequencing where you have, again, specific primers, mm -hmm. but not one but maybe thousands of specific primers for thousands of specific genes. Um, but the point here is with genome, you typically have an um, organism that you isolate DNA from, mm -hmm. you fragment it so that its parts of the genome are short enough for the sequencer to be sequenced because every sequencing technology has a specific maximum or cheapest yeah, yeah, length of read. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then you afterwards pile up all the reads that you got from the machine and try to reassemble the genome that you tried to sequence. And, and then that's the place where bioinformaticians have their job. Yes, <laughs> in, in part, exactly. Uh, and now are. assemble the puzzle. 
there are SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, but there are also structural variants. And structural variants are typically bigger, and for this you need bigger DNA fragments. Mm-hmm. But you can also look at STRs with whole genome sequencing because you have the whole genome and thus you have also the information for all of the STR regions. But it's so much more expensive that no one would do that if you would only be interested in the STR regions, right? STR short tandem repeats. Yes, exactly. You can do it as a byproduct, for example, if you are sequencing a cell line in research. Mm-hmm. And you are looking actually at some mutations. But by the way, let's check that this cell line that we sequence is actually the cell line that we wanted to sequence. Mm-hmm. And for this, you can just conveniently pick out the STR regions and compare them. It's easy, right? So with whole genome sequencing, there are a lot of things that you can answer. But mostly we are trying to reassemble the genome or look at changes between genome A and B, uh, mm-hmm. between you and your Target father. Target-specific regions. That's also possible, mm-hmm. yes. That is one thing. And the other is, let's talk about volcanoes. So as we previously mentioned, the genome is immutable data about your body. You cannot change your DNA. Mm -hmm. Now you cannot, I don't know, drink three liters of bleach or something and your DNA, well, okay. So (laughs) (laughs) what you can do, of course, is that you can go to Chernobyl and increase your mutational burden, Mm -hmm. but that will only change the DNA for the next sequence generations? of not every cell in your body, not mm-hmm. every cell the same, mm-hmm. and you can backtrack it later, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can overlay those. And this will be passed then on your next generations, isn't it? Sometimes, if it reaches your eggs and sperm cells, then yes. Mm-hmm. If no, then no. Aha, okay. Anyway, so your genetic information is immutable data, mm-hmm. basically, because in cancers it's different, but mm-hmm. let's, let's say a rule of thumb here, genetics is immutable. Mm-hmm in the cells that are alive and actually do some something yeah they are transcriptionally active means they are opening the dna reading it getting rna out of it Mm -hmm. making a protein in the end transcriptionally active cells in your body those are the majority of your cells because they need to be they need to do something to stay alive right and enzymes fail thus you constantly need a new supply of enzymes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we now go into the field of transcriptomics we look at the full dna profile of specific cells let's say we have a skin cell Mm -hmm. right after a big burst of uv radiation because you went outside and sat in the sun right Mm -hmm. but now you have a sunburn happens if you don't use sunscreen, by the way, you should use sunscreen. Um, but if not, many cells will already be dead, but some will not. And this will be a point where you want to look at the RNA of your cells, okay? Also on the DNA damage, but let's look at the RNA because RNA is basically the reaction. Does I that make sense? Partially. Are you using sunscreen every day? Not every day, no. Are you? No, but I'm considering. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, my sister does. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Thank you for this nice detail. Yeah, it's very useful information, I know. Sometimes scientists want to quantify the reaction of cells towards a certain impulse. Let's say sunlight, let's say chemicals, Mm -hmm. let's say something you ate. And for this, you don't look at the DNA, but you look at the RNA. Why? Because the DNA is immutable, but Mm -hmm. the RNA is not. The RNA is is expressed Mm -hmm. relative to what you need to newly synthesize on the protein level. Or the Mm -hmm. regulatory RNA elements. If if enhances are open, if enzymes fail, then new RNA needs to get made to make new proteins. Mm -hmm. So the RNA you can think of as the reactive layer of the cell. Yeah. Yeah. And the the DNA is more the library and there Mm -hmm. are 
specific molecules, proteins, and RNAs that pick out of the library the chapters that they need to make new mm -hmm. cellular functions work again or better or worse or whatever is currently needed in that. Very nice analogy, <laughs> actually. No, really, really. For me, at least, it's easily accessible how to understand the difference between them. If we are talking about reactive layer, RNA reactive layer, no? Yeah. Does it mean that if a person gets sick, that would make much more sense to look at RNA rather than DNA? Define sick. There are multiple ways of sick. Yeah, yes, true. Let's take cold and let's take cancer. With a cold, it's better to check for some reactive ways, yeah? Or, okay, not the cold, but some, what is reactive, like allergy or some stuff like this, yep. then it would make sense to take a look at RNA. But if there are some like cancer things that happened on the background, then it makes sense to look at the DNA to track something down. So to make it short, uh, mm -hmm. allergy would be immunology. So there you would look at immune cells and their response, but mm -hmm. their response is proteins and RNAs. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yes, okay. that's, that's feasible. Oh, cool. For cancer, if you have a solid cancer, yeah, let's say a tumor somewhere, yep. then you would typically look at the DNA to see the differences relative to your non-tumor mm -hmm, tissue mm -hmm. because the DNA is the library, the more stable part. Okay. We can extend that analogy here. Uh, let's say the DNA is the library. RNAs are chapters of instructions and what you need to build in the end are proteins. And those proteins are, let's say, tools like a hammer or saw yeah, Okay. that you need in a cell to make your body work, let's say, to digest, to get energy, to mm -hmm. make specific proteins that you need for function currently to cool. just work. Okay. Good. So we are on the RNA level. Mm -hmm. And typically you want to compare stuff. Yeah? You don't just sequence the RNA and look at single nucleotides and their difference, but you mostly look at the amount of RNA. Mm -hmm. So you use healthy cells from your body without the sunburn and you use cells from your body with the sunburn. You isolate the RNA in both mm -hmm. the same way. Yeah. You convert the RNA to DNA and that works with an RNA-dependent DNA polymerase. It's an enzyme. <laughs> oh God, that sounded very complicated. RNA-dependent, yeah. so it needs RNA. Yeah. DNA polymerase. Mm -hmm. Polymerase you already know. Yes, yes. DNA polymerase also. So it's just a DNA polymerase that makes DNA mm -hmm. but needs RNA as a template. Uh -huh, okay. Not DNA this time. Yeah. Typically okay. in the mm -hmm. PCR, for example, you'd need a DNA-dependent DNA polymerase. But in transcriptomics, you need then to make cDNA. You use the RNA-dependent DNA polymerase. Mm -hmm. that then then cRNA is circular RNA. No, it's complementary DNA. Complementary. So, so okay. the problem here is from DNA to RNA, some information gets lost. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what? Splicing. Did we ever talk about splicing? No, not really. Once you told something, but we never <laughs> talked about it. Okay, tell us please about the splicing. Okay, so most genes are not start, information, end, but they are start, information, stop, nonsense, start, information, stop, nonsense, mm -hmm. start, information, stop, unrelated information, Okay. start, information. They are, they are basically in introns and exons. Yeah? They are spread throughout a big region mm -hmm. and they are in parts. Mm -hmm. And that is not stupid. That is not chaotic, that is needed, this structure here, right? Because from one of those chapters in the book mm -hmm. of DNA, let's call it a gene, we have then several parts that have useful information and some have information also, but that never ends up in the protein. Yeah. That parts that never end up in the protein we call introns mm -hmm. and that, that sometimes 
end up in a protein that we call exons. Okay. We have in most genes, we have several exons and introns. And sometimes the exons are big, sometimes small, sometimes you have many, sometimes mm -hmm. you have just a few. However, this structure, intron, exon, intron, exon, then when you convert it to RNA, yeah, you're on the RNA layer, you suddenly don't have any introns. It gets spliced, right? And it can be alternatively spliced. So from one gene, there are actually several proteins that can result from this because you have not all the exons need to be in every product. Mm -hmm. You can sometimes have uh, exon A, then B, then C. And the next time you synthesize the protein from there, you can have B, you can have also B, B, C, D, E. A whole different protein okay. from the same gene mm -hmm. with maybe slightly, maybe completely different functions. Yeah, That's a different layer of information here. And when we now take only the RNA that was already spliced and make DNA from it, we do get the information of which exons were there. Okay. But we lose the intron information, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there is some information loss. Uh, we call this C complementary DNA because it's not the real DNA it's that the, the RNA mm -hmm. started from, but only the DNA that was made from an RNA template. Mm -hmm. Some information is missing. We actually need to talk about isoforms at some point because there is a whole amount of complexity again arising from this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Splicing. Okay, anyway, we were talking about transcriptomics. So in the RNA layer, we want to compare the sunburned from the non-sunburned cells and what they are currently trying to do. Yeah? And we do this by quantifying the RNA. Let's say a gene that is responsible for your DNA protection. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, it's P51, I think, P52. It's a protein that is basically the the police of your DNA in each mm -hmm. cell. If the DNA is intact, then the cell stays alive. If the DNA is not intact, it has many mutations occurring. Yeah? There is a whole lot of radiation that changes your DNA and the protein here can actually sense that. Then it actually dictates your cells to destroy themselves, mm -hmm. to commit suicide. That is actually very good for you because if this protein would not work and would not sense destroy DNA and make your cells go suicide. Then most probably it will be cancerogenous cell. Yes, or stuff exactly. Like that, yeah. It protects from cancer by suicide mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on a cellular level, right? It induces the death pathway. It in can, the cell. it can. Mm -hmm. right? Okay, anyway, you have several proteins with several functions and you can actually see what proteins will be made or what RNAs that also have regulatory functions in the cell by making cDNA from RNA and sequencing then the cDNA. Mm -hmm. You quantify, quantify means basically you count how many of each cDNA you find. Let's say gene P51, yeah? and we find in the normal cell, in the healthy without sunburn, you find 52 DNA reads that map to that region. And in the non-healthy, you find 512. What does that mean? Well, it means that something here is happening, right? Mm -hmm. And that is what you mostly do with RNA sequencing. You, you don't really do RNA sequencing on one platform yet. Yes, but on most you just sequence the cDNA. Mm -hmm. And you do it not with one gene, but with all genes that there are. Yes. So you take all of the RNA that you have in the cell and sequence it all and see how much is there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is the whole thing, the whole field of transcriptomics basically doing checking the reaction of cells to a specific environment or mm -hmm. pulse or... But or for, for or that, you always need control cells. Yes. And you always need to be sure that there is something that you could can compare. Yes, exactly. So you, with. so you in transcriptomics, you never just sequence one thing, not one sample. You do 
you sequence multiple samples because there is a whole world of how much actually your sample differs when you only cut three millimeters to the left mm -hmm. and to the right. Mm -hmm. yeah, so you need many measurements for each organism, but you will also want to have many organisms because your answer to sunburn will be different, slightly different than mine. But if we sequence the RNA, we will find some similar responses in that. Okay. But then we also need to include, you know, ethnic groups. Yes, exactly. And the exposure of generations beforehand and stuff. No, not generations maybe, but we need different individuals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right? Mm. And the more different the individuals are, the more stable is your come out then later in the analysis, right? Because whatever changes the same way in several different organisms seems to be more universally true than if you only find that reaction in one right. type. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we count for each of those RNAs, we count those that map to a specific gene mm -hmm. and we compare those. Mm -hmm. If we have, let's say, in one group, five samples, we call them, yeah. that have healthy cells. Yeah, mm -hmm. They are from somewhere where you didn't get sunburn. And we have, let's say, it, they don't need to be the same number. So we have seven samples with sunburn. Mm -hmm. And then we compare those gene counts, those transcript counts between the group healthy and the group sunburn. Mm -hmm. We call this statistic analysis as part of transcriptomics and there is one very important word which is p-value mm -hmm. and the n. Mm. n is basically the amount of samples the yeah, more yeah. the better mm. right because the bro broader spectrum of uh, individuals and p-value means basically uh, how sure are you how significant are the differences yeah, yeah is there only a little bit or is this really mm. a high response yeah the lower the p-value, the higher significant your finding is. Yeah, we are talking about 0.000001 is much better than 0.05. The smaller number here is the better because it's the more significant finding, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the data supporting more robustly your hypothesis or the finding that you, the change. Yeah. And the change between the numbers of transcript in control and in sunburn group, we also compare by fold change. What is full change? Okay, if we find in one group on average 10 reads for gene A and in the other 20, it's a full change of two. Again? 10 versus 20, full change two. Ah, fold, fold change. X-fold, yes. Okay, it's all good. It's three times, Got it. three fold. Yeah. Okay, and now we come to the volcano. In a typical transcriptomics experiment, you in the worst case have 20,000 and in the best case have 100,000 transcripts that you compare between all sunburned and healthy cells. So okay. it's a huge amount of data. Absolutely. And for each of those samples, you have roughly 30 million reads when we are talking about wow, humans. Wow, 30 million. That's because the gigabase price is so important, right? Mm -hmm. Most of those genes did not change between sunburn and healthy. Yeah, most of those genes are not interesting because they didn't change because they are doing something that the cell always needs to do or never has done, right? For 99% of those cells, the full change will be roughly zero. Okay. Not interesting. Mm -hmm. And the p-value will be much, much higher than 0 0.05, thus mm -hmm. not significant, thus also not interesting. Mm -hmm. To visualize the whole amount of data that we have mm -hmm. uh, and this thousands and thousands of genes or different transcripts that we are looking at, people converge to a way of visualization that is called the volcano plot. Mm -hmm. We have on one axis the log fold change, which is basically just an abstraction of fold change. How many did change the transcript from group A to group B? All right. And the other, the y-axis typically, is the p-value, yeah? the negative log 10 of the p-value, which means the higher the negative log 10, the smaller the number, 
does the higher the significance. Okay. So do you kind of realize that this is here a volcano breakout of genes? Do you see that somehow? Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> But tell me, how would you analyze such a graph and which solutions would you have? Because so such a volcano graph, it also looks like most probably typically it has three colors. So there is some mm -hmm. at some certain value, they're having everything gray. And then from this point, they have two different branches. One is blue and another one is red. So roughly, let's start with it looks like a volcano spewing lava. Yeah, lava. erupting volcano. Yeah, and blasting a whole lot of things into the sky. Yeah, random, randomly distributed things into the sky. Yes, but there are also some region with super high intensity and there you see a lot of data points together. Yeah, exactly. So there is a volcano basically below the graph that we are looking mm -hmm. at. And this volcano spits out thousands of small pieces. Yeah, just a small spoiler. Those are all genes that the volcano spits out. Yeah. And he spits it out in two directions and yeah, nothing goes straight top. No data point is straight on top of the in the middle of the volcano. Right. If you look at it, right, there's a whole gap here. Yeah, we didn't mention that on the x-axis where we have this fault change. In the middle we have zero and then we go to the negative and to the positive direction. So yes. basically it looks... It's mirrored, basically, exactly. in, the, in the middle. Exactly, so the data is mirrored. The data points are not mirrored, <laughs> but the axis is, yes. yes. Okay, so we have three colors. So the first, let's say, one or 200 meters of this volcano spill out are all gray points in either of those directions. And that color means that basically those points did not reach significance. Mm -hmm. Here the p-value is above 0.05, mm -hmm. which means that even if there is a big fold change between sunburned and healthy, the amount is not significant, okay. mathematically speaking, oh, cool. statistically speaking. Okay. And then at some point it's a straight line, but because the points have here a certain fatness, <laughs> At a certain line, it's a y-value line. And this line is exactly at p-value 0.05. Okay. And at that point, suddenly, if you go more up in either of those directions, the point will have a color because they are significant. Okay. Okay. So this was criteria yes. for changing color when suddenly it starts to be significant. Color is in this volcano plot here, mm -hmm. significance. And we have a full change into the negative and the positive. That means we have upregulated genes and downregulated genes. All the genes that have colors are significantly up mm -hmm. or downregulated mm -hmm. already. And what you can see in this specific volcano plot here, that you have some very high outliers at the very, very top, very left. And left side is the negative log fold change. And yeah. that means downregulated. That means downregulated in the sunburn compared to the control samples. Uh -huh, okay. So it's downregulation. And another one is, does it called upregulation? And to the right side, we have red data points. And the more right you go, the more upregulated you up. are. So it's upregulated, it's not over Significant upregulated mm -hmm. is here red and significantly downregulated is left. And the more the point is at the top of the plot, the more significant it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So negative log 10 of the p-value 15 means that there are several zeros because it, before a number starts here. That is a highly downregulated but also highly significant transcriptional change upon sunburn. Okay. All of those data points here, we could actually add the gene name. Oh, wow. But if we would do that and you would want to be able to read those genomes, you would have 20,000 genomes mm -hmm. in there. Uh, and there are no genes which have only a single letter. Mm -hmm. So this will get just crowded and be a black 
smoke here. You will never be able to read the data. So how how so do you analyze it? So sometimes you only add the names of the genes that are most significant and have the have the highest full change. But aren't they just outliers that are super far yes. away from others? Yes, and that's the whole point of it because you are looking at the most significant changes upon sunburn in this case. Yeah. So the highest significant and the higher full change. So so the higher you are the more significant and also the more to the sides you are, either left or right, the more is the full change. Higher full change means more difference between sunburn and healthy. Mm -hmm. In the best case, you have you will have a lot of points in the upper left corner and the upper right corner because high significance and high full change. Mm -hmm. There are also people who start at only significant fold changes at two and minus two, mm -hmm. which means they have additional lines here yeah, with additional colors again, where it only gets interested when you have a doubling or halving of the amount of transcript in your cells. Okay. Mm -hmm. But that is to some degree also in the calculation of the significance here. Anyway, those are two of the most used applications of sequencing yeah, that still is today the case mm -hmm. with all the sequencing technologies that we will talk about. So we look at the genome and look at differences and try to relate samples to each other or see differences in the genome actually, mm -hmm. cancer, non-cancer. Or we look at the reaction, the metabolic reaction basically of mm -hmm. the cell, the transcriptional changes upon some treatment compared to control cells. Does that make sense? Pretty much, pretty much. And for both of those applications, there's one universal truth here. Mm -hmm. The more reads, the better. Yeah, more coverage makes your results safer, statistically seen. Yeah, definitely. And that's why it's valid only for high throughput techniques, right? Correct. Otherwise, it's getting much too slow and expensive. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are these all applications you wanted to talk about? We can talk about hundreds of ways to sequence. We can talk about high Dump C. ways to die. We can talk about high C. Mm -hmm. Chromatin confirmation capture. You use an enzyme to link two DNA pieces together that are close in the 3D space of your nucleus. Mm -hmm. In most of your cells, the DNA is not r randomly floating around in the cell, but it's it's inside the nucleus. Yeah. Inside the nucleus, again, the DNA is not randomly swirling around. Yeah? It has been shown that actually each chromosome has a specific pocket in your nucleus, a specific corner mm -hmm. where DNA from chromosome 10 mm -hmm. typically is. Mm -hmm. And chromosome 10 typically is a neighbor of chromosome 3 genetic material. Okay. Stuff like this, right? So there is actually an architecture of what chromosome goes where in the nucleus. That's fantastic because all what we learn from it, from the basic information that yeah, a nucleus is just one compartment within the cell where DNA is stored. Yeah. And it's we're always thinking that it's like just swimming inside, like no, no. randomly, but it's not. And the thing is here, people have developed a way of looking into that, Yeah, what DNA is close to which other DNA in the nucleus. Right. With the platform of DNA sequencing. Mm -hmm. So it is DNA, so you sequence DNA in the end, but how you do it is interesting. And the interesting thing is here is that you cross-link the DNA. You introduce enzyme into your living cells that connects DNA that is physically close together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have basically, a, let's say you have a table full of spaghetti. 
Okay, you have spaghetti and there are contact points between different spaghetti. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have an enzyme that glues together the contact points of the spaghetti. Mm -hmm. At a later point, you cut the spaghetti into small parts. However, you don't cut where the connection is between two different DNA points. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then you do again with some very nice enzymes that have been developed. You connect those two DNA parts that have been glued together by this enzyme in the first. You sequence this. Mm. And then you're getting this tiny kind of circular structure. You, you get a DNA that is in one part from one chromosome and the other half is from somewhere completely different. Sometimes. Sometimes not, but most it's from somewhere completely different and not from the nucleotide right next to each other. Right? It's only mm -hmm. from the, the physical closeness, mm -hmm. the physical... Yeah, spatially they were close. That's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you glue those two pieces together, mm -hmm. you sequence them, remove the glue part, make just one piece of DNA out mm -hmm. of it. And after sequencing, you find out that if you try to map this DNA read this to the tiny, reference genome, these tiny pieces, these tiny pieces, then only one of the halves will map to some certain region. And then you see that, oh, the other half of the read maps to completely somewhere different mm. on maybe a different chromosome. And since they are cross-linked, then you can make a map and then you could see which regions lay close together spatially. Exactly. And that is how I see. This I really like. <laughs> that looks like a super, super interesting thing. Yeah. And important for sure. It's very important for genome assemblies where the genome is so big that you have a hard time actually reconstructing the whole genome. There you can use this high C sequencing of short read sequences makes it even cheap that you can see which DNA fragment was close to the other because it is true that in most mammals chromosome 1 DNA is mostly close to other chromosome DNA of the same chromosome. Yeah? So chromosome 1 is one pocket and thus you have the most closest DNA from chromosome 1. So you can assemble chromosomes from high C data. Mm -hmm. Wow. Every time when you're bringing to me some new techniques or new applications that sounds from one side funny but from another side yeah i'm asking myself how would you come to this idea no? because <laughs> now now it's very easy to explain and like to say uh look how cool it is look how easy it is it's like plate of spaghetti yeah <laughs> but can you like imagine just put yourself a bit back if you would be the person to come up with this idea it's like oh how do we reconstruct dna hmm, let's cross link yeah that's just a fascinating fact for me because in all these sequencing techniques also in the ones that we were discussing already like till now in every technique there was some some kick some tiny raising of an interest yeah of an interesting information of curious way how to treat the data or how to treat samples to, to get your results and this is beautiful somewhere <laughs> colors somewhere luciferase like with spiral <laughs> sequencing no? yeah but it is isn't it yeah sure <laughs> okay so I think that's it for today. Of course, there are several technologies who are better suited for genome sequencing, and we will come to those technologies. But in the next episode, we will come to a technology again that we are currently using as of today because, because of the prices per gigabase. Um, and on those machines, we already did actually high C sequencing. That's it from my side. Don't forget to send us feedback at... What email address again, Julia? I'm forgetting. Podcast.explain at gmail.com. Oh, Thank man. you. <laughs> <laughs> or Instagram, explain.pod. See you next time. Let's check what Illumina does and how it differs from all these techniques that we've already discussed. So to summarize, we today did talk about cats. We talked about Julia's skin. Female skin. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about short tandem repeats, SDR regions. We did talk about planes and that basically every high throughput sequencing platform is more a platform than a machine. Yeah. 
And we also did talk about volcanoes. Wonderful, wonderfully described. Right. And if you wanted to note exactly as Daniel said, it's about platform, yeah? And we are not able to describe all possible applications for techniques. We gave you a couple examples, uh, bright examples, some insights, what is possible. And of course, the rest is like also up to your creativity and your needs. Once you have a research question, you could turn to sequencing technologies and then get your answers. Okay. I hope you had fun. Send us feedback if I did major mistakes. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> All good. So have fun, people. Have a nice time and see you in our next episode when we talk about the Illumina. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.